The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good night. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Good morning. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Joining me this morning is uh, New York Times bestselling author Dr. Alejandro Junger. His first book, Clean, outlined a 21-day detox program to reactivate the body's natural ability to heal itself, which helped thousands to resolve their persistent, ongoing health issues. But Today, we're going to be talking about Dr. Junger's new book, Clean Gut, which explains how we can launch a preemptive strike and attack disease before it takes root in the gut. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on, Dr. Junger. Yeah, nice to be here. Well, it sounds great because we do, you know, who wants to get sick? We'd like to nip it in the bud, I guess is what you're saying in, in clean gut. So let's talk about the premise of your book. What is it? What's the difference between clean gut and just clean? Clean um, talks about cleansing and detoxification. It talks about the the um, what I call another inconvenient truth, which is the toxicity of our planet and how it affects our health. Clean gut talks specifically about the damage that people are walking around in their gut, in their intestines, and all the organs around the intestines, and how that is where health and disease begins. Let's, okay, let's be really specific about that. Okay, so the disease begins in our gut, and you're talking about all kinds of diseases, whether it's uh, heart disease, diabetes. Um, is this what we're talking about when we're talking about disease or chronic illnesses, like other, yeah, other kinds of chronic illnesses? Yeah, we, we all, we're all familiar with the fact that you know, a lot of people are walking around with inflammation and how inflammation is a co- common precursor of many of the chronic diseases of the modern world. And what I'm saying is that for most people, inflammation begins in a damaged gut. And yes, this can lead to many, many different problems. Just like when the roots of a plant or the soil around the roots are not healthy, you know, you can see problems in the leaves, in the flowers, in the, in the fruit, in the same way when our roots, which is our gut, that's where we absorb the nutrients from, and the soil, which is our food, is not healthy, then we can see problems in our organs, our skin, our blood, and, and, and every, everywhere else. It's, it, it, inflammation is a cause of a lot of diseases. I'm beginning to see this in a lot of just not necessarily medical journals, but just you know newspaper articles for the general public. So this whole idea of inflammation in our gut, not good for us, that's what makes us sick. How does that happen? I mean, how do we get these inflamed guts? Well, 
inflammation is not really a disease. Inflammation in itself is a survival mechanism that the body puts forward when it detects a problem. Inflammation is just the condition that the body needs in order to, you know, uh, attack foreign invaders or repair broken things, right? Now, 80% of Is that like our... when you have a fever, like if you have a high fever, that's kind of, that's attacking whatever the, the, the bacteria is in your body? Is it the same yeah, thing? Yeah, fever, fever is only one of the, of, of the, of the characteristics of inflammation. So, 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 um, what happens is that 80% of our immune system exists within and around the intestines. So because this is the place where a lot of foreign stuff comes in and out of the body and is in contact with the border of the body with the in, with, between the inside and the outside. So, so you know, the, the, the gut gets damaged pretty easily. And, and with the unnatural conditions in which we're living, we are all walking around with some degree of gut damage. And that's where inflammation starts for a lot of people, and that's where the chronic diseases um, begin. So does this begin in childhood? And, and how does, you know, we're talking about the American diet. Is that what we're talking about that causes this? Or, um, or you know, certain kinds of foods or our lifestyle or, you know, let's be specific about how this all happens because it's obviously not good for us, does make us sick. Yeah, listen, we, we, we have a war against bugs and bacteria, but the truth is that we need a lot of these bugs and bacteria in our gut in order to be healthy. And when people, even even when 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 kids are born these days, so many kids are born out of C-sections, and 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 the mothers are given antibiotics, and then kids are given antibiotics for for anything that happens to them growing up, and this completely decimates the intestinal flora, and um, and you know this is this is um, just a consequence of the of our modern unnatural lives. So what do we do? So how do we so, rectify so, this? Because yeah, I mean that's that's even, the subject of the book, you know. See, exactly, it, it, that's it, what I want to talk about. The subject of the book: How do we rectify this? Because it seems to me, you walk into any grocery store, and the stuff they're selling to us—the processed foods, all those kind—you know, the, the kind of food that we eat, uh, the sauces. You know, when you go out to restaurants, all of that doesn't—it it doesn't feel good. It doesn't, and it doesn't seem like that's good stuff for our gut. Yeah, listen, there's two aspects of your question of how we repair this. The bigger picture is we need to return to a more natural way of living and feeding ourselves. Um, instead of eating processed foods and food-like products, we need to eat food, real food again, and food that's been grown in a natural way. And, and on an individual basis, you need to repair the damage that that um, that you may have caused, and that's what the program in the book outlines. You know, it 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 tells you how to take the first steps to repair the damage that you may already have a you, know, you may be walking around with. All right. Well, let let's talk about how we begin to repair. What do we do? We're assuming that our guts are not in good shape. They're inflamed. We've eaten all this stuff. Um, we have a kind of a, a I don't think the American diet is not particularly healthy. That's at least my assessment. No, 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 it's not, it's not, not particularly healthy. It's completely unhealthy. Okay, completely unhealthy. 
Yeah. Um, All right. So, so, so the, way, the, way, the way to repair is basically there, there are four pillars to, to the plan of repairing the gut. And it's based on the four R's of functional medicine. The first R is for, to remove, remove the bad organi- organisms that may be already in your gut, like bad bacteria, yeast, parasites, and things like that. Also, removing the processed foods and all the chemicals that we are exposed to and we continue to consume. The second R is restore, restoring the good nutrients, the restoring the good conditions that we need. The third R is repair. There are certain nutrients that we are very uh, uh, lacking, like L-glutamine and other things that help repair the intestinal wall. And the four R is re-inoculate, and it talks about replanting the good bacteria in our gut. So we have remove, restore, repair, and re-inoculate. Yes. Let's, all right. Is this a diff, You know, most of us are like, oh my, this seems like so overwhelming. How can I do that? I just want to get up in the morning, eat what I eat, and, and you know, I, I don't have time to do that. I don't have. I have to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And listen, and listen. Unfortunately, in 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 our culture, we a lot of people think like that, and they only stop thinking like that when they get the eviction notice, when when they <laughs> when they go to the doctor and they say, you know what, you got two three months to live. And that's when they say, oh, my God, it's not worth it, you know, like, like not wasting time and, 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 uh, and that kind of thing. Yeah, I like so, the word so, eviction. And that's, that's what it is, the eviction notice. And we do wait for that. We, we somehow keep putting it off until, you yeah. know, we get really, really sick or we get some kind of a terminal disease. So, okay, we, gotta, we don't want to do that. We want to start. No. Yeah. So how long does this take if we want to do the four R's? Um, well, the book outlines a 21-day program, and that's you know the basic the basic uh, 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 program for people that that um, that are walking around. But you know, some people will need less, and some people will need more. Well, I have a son who swears by your program, and smart son. Yes. <laughs> I have three, and he's like, yeah, and he, and he had just started talking to me about it, so I got really excited when I just, you know, you're going to be on the show. So, yeah, no, he's, it works for him, loves it, um, and um, also, I mean, it keeps him trim as well. I mean, he's eating, you know, doing the diet the, and eating good thing, or do, you know, doing what he's supposed to do, but it also keeps kind of slim and trim as well. Yeah. So... All right, but how can let's twenty one day program anybody should be able to do a twenty one day program um, let's kind of break it up when you wake up and you start what do you do? What do you have to do to get involved in the program? the four pillars basically basically, you have to stop eating the garbage and the chemicals that you that you're eating and um and you have to um, kind of relieve the intestines from having to digest all day long. So, so you know, we simplify the foods that we, there's a list of foods that you can and a list of foods that you cannot eat. You also substitute uh, uh, meals for liquid meals, which which take much less work of digestion, and then you take some supplements that um, like probiotics to re inoculate the good bacteria 
herbal antimicrobials to get rid of the bad ones, um, nutrients like supplements like L-glutamine to promote the repair of the intestinal wall. So it's, it's, a, it's a, um, a, a way of eating and, and also um, the necessary supplements for these processes to occur. Dr. Younger, what, let's just admit not all of them, but like maybe the top three, what do we get rid of in our diet and maybe the top, if there are any, three things that we should replace, that we should be eating that are good for us? Okay, what are the, are there yeah, like... Well, we're getting, we're getting rid of, and, and, and this is a good question because it's more important to know what not to eat than to know what to eat. But, but um, the, you know, the, if you want three important things to get rid of, dairy, gluten, and, and alcohol, for example, and um, and and the three important things to to make sure that you consume green vegetables, water, and um, and you know maybe good protein. But what about those of us who like to have a drink of wine before dinner? I mean, it makes it pleasant. I like it. I don't want to give it up. I mean, is it yeah, okay? So don't don't give it up and and wait until the eviction notice. Yeah. <laughs> So you, now I have to ask you, so you don't drink any alcohol at all? Listen, we're not discussing what I do here. (laughs) That's irrelevant. You know, what what we're discussing here is what somebody needs to do if they want to repair their gut. And and that is what needs to happen, you know. It's it's like like if you break your your leg and, and, and I said, listen, in order to repair it, you need a cast for three weeks. And you say, oh, but I like uh, dancing and jumping. I say, okay, fine, you go dance and jump until your, your leg ha- is irreparable. But if you want your leg to repair, then you put a cast and you stay still for three weeks, and then maybe you can jump again every now and then. Or, you know what I mean? Oh, okay. You've you, you got you to put things into perspective. Got it. All right, so it's not forever. It's just you want to get it, re- take the 21 days, do the repair, like the broken leg, no dairy, no gluten, no alcohol, and replace it with greens and waters and good stuff. But, yeah, but, but listen, yeah. if you broke your leg uh, crashing cars into walls and, and, and you repair it for three weeks and then you go back into crashing cars into, into, into walls, you're probably going to break your leg again. So if you're eating garbage that's breaking your, your intestines and, you're in, and, you're in, 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 and turning on your inflammation and you do the program and you go back to doing exactly what you were doing before, then you're probably going to end up in the same situation. So hopefully, and this is what happens to a lot of people that do the program, is that they feel so good that they don't want to go back to what they were doing before. And, you know, things like alcohol later, they do in, uh, in moderation. Or, uh, and, and other things like gluten, some people realize they can't do ever again. So it, you want to modify and you have to kind of understand you really have to be aware, don't you, of how, you're, how you feel, be aware of your body, and be kind of very attuned to your body and your stomach. And your, I mean, and I think a lot of people perhaps don't do that. You know, just know how you feel when you eat a certain food or drink a certain drink. I'm sorry, I didn't understand your question. My question is, like, don't you have to be aware of how you feel when you ingest some of this? You know, as you say, like, you do the 21-day program. Then you go back and modify your behavior. But always be aware of what, whatever you ingest into your body. Just be aware of how that makes you feel. 
I mean, does it make you feel? Do you get a stomach ache? Do you get a headache? Isn't is yeah, that and that's, important? that's the beauty. That's the beauty of 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 the program. You know, for so many people, they're eating all these things together, and they don't really know what's going on. Um, because they, you know, they don't know how things affect them because they, they, they mix it up and they've been doing it for so many years. And so after the program that is outlined in the book, you kind of have, have a blank slate and then you start reintroducing things one at a time and you start really understanding how those things affect you individually, personally, and specifically. Yeah, I think that's really critical. You can't can't do this mindless eating and drinking, which many of us do. Just we have excuses for it. We mentioned it earlier on the show. You know, we're busy. We try to do things quickly. We grab stuff at the grocery store that you know we shouldn't be eating. But we can't do that mindless eating if we don't want to get that eviction notice soon. Um, okay, so we remove the bad stuff. We store it with the good nutrients. And then the repair process begins. Yeah, sure. Well, you know, whenever whenever you stop uh, uh, damaging things, the body's always trying to repair itself. Isn't it? There's nothing that you need to do other than 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 get out of the way from the body to, uh, trying to repair itself. So as soon as you you stop doing the things that are damaging it, the body's immediately trying to repair. Now there are certain things that that exceed the natural ability for, of the body to repair itself. So you need extra help. For, that's why the supplements are needed in order to bring in things that naturally you wouldn't be able to, to obtain. And this works also, and maybe this is related to the clean diet. Let's say you haven't done this and you do get sick and you get diagnosed with cancer. If you then and this obviously that's going to be after the fact that eviction notice perhaps can you help to will this help to re, can you do something about it i mean to repair your body or to maybe um prolong your life or you know by following the 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 four pillars sure listen this gets rid of a lot of the health problems that we are suffering from but sometimes problems go a little bit farther uh, farther along the ability of even this program to to work. So you know, and and thank, and at, at those times, thank God for modern medicine. Because if you have a tumor in your brain that's pressing against against your nervous tissue, then you know that's not a time for gut repair. That's a time for maybe for going in and and taking that tumor out surgically before it destroys your your, your brain. But um, but um, you know, before and after, or do, enduring the, the, this, these things, then gut repair will, will also help. So so absolutely, um, it can get rid of a lot of problems. What's the last step involved? Re-inoculate. Well, that's not. It's not the last step. It's just the last that the last one that I mentioned. These all oh. things go together. Okay. You know, so so as you as you get rid of all the bad stuff and you and you introduce the good stuff, you also introduce the good bacteria, um, so that they can re-inoculate your your gut. But the last part of the program is what we talked about before: the reintroduction of 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 certain things. Because of course, listen, for a lot of people, it's not a it's not a practical or it will not happen that they will stop certain things forever so you have to reintroduce them one by one and really understand how they affect you and see if maybe you can have them every now and then or or you know so so that's the last step of the program 
What about, I want to talk about, because like sort of like, you know, it's, we're talking about preventative medicine um, with, with the diet. What about with children? Should we be, you know, how should we inter- be introducing foods um, or doing a, a program like this with our children so we don't get to the point where our guts are really a mess or inflamed or we, you know, we have, you know, uh, get to the point where we are sick? Uh, but shouldn't we start? diet of our, our kids when they're young in school sure, and at sure. home? Listen, we, we, we should feed our kids real food and not food-like products. We should be careful by giving them, with giving them antibiotics for any little problem that they have. We should be careful with all these things. Listen, the same things that apply for adults apply for kids. And, and, um, and you know, some, some probiotics are good for kids too. There's a lot of things that we can do for kids, but this is not a program for kids because I'm not a pediatrician and I have no experience with, with gut repairing kids. This is a program for adults, and the important thing is if you want your kids to be healthy, you need to lead by example. You can't just make them eat broccoli while you eat your pizza and Coca-Cola. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, I think, what many parents try to do, you know, yeah, do, that's yeah, right. do as that's I say, not as I do, but you do have to lead by yeah, example. That's right. That's why I mentioned when parents ask me, oh, so, so how do I get my, eats, my, my kids to eat healthy? I say, well, listen, uh, uh, your kids are going to do whatever you do. If you read, your kids are going to read. If, you're, if you eat healthy, your kids are going to eat healthy because they, 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 they follow your example. How does this fit into the whole obesity problem we have because whatever we're eating I, I mean whether I don't know I mean we are obviously not eating well and I'm talking about you know the American diet um, and I talk about this on the show a lot like if 50% of us are overweight and another what 10% or 20% are obese uh, we're doing something really wrong, not just in terms I think, of what. I think you got. I think you got your numbers wrong. I think it's a oh. much bigger, a much bigger rate of obesity and 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 overweight. But but listen, the body doesn't know how to get sick. The body doesn't have information. But biology has not equipped our bodies with with ways of making mistakes. Everything that you see that the body is doing. It's just a survival and adaptation mechanism. Even obesity is a way in which your body is trying to survive something. Now, um, this is more related to my first book than my second book because what happens is 90% of the toxic molecules that we are exposed to are are, are what is called lipophilic, meaning they only dissolve in fat. They don't don't dissolve in water. So when they go into your system, your body, because it detects their irritation, tries to buffer the irritation by surrounding them, by dissolving them in fat, so your body will retain and even generate fat in order to defend itself. And this is something that nobody's talking about, that one of the causes of obesity is our exposure to toxic molecules. No, no one is talking about that. You very seldom, I mean, I've heard, obviously we hear it from you today on the show, but uh, that's not something that you hear on the news, all, you know, when we're talking about obesity. I just want to backtrack because you said my numbers were off, and I know they're off, so what, what are the, I just want to clarify, what are the obesity rates in this country? I'm not sure. I don't pay too much attention to oh. those statistics, but, but I think that, 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 that it's bigger than, than 20%. Yeah, it's, it looks bigger, literally 
uh, as a problem. Uh, let's talk, okay, what about, um, we want your book, I'll, I'll mention the name of the book again, is Clean Gut, which you can buy online, bookstores everywhere. Uh, Dr. Younger, do you have, uh, you know, a website, an active website, interactive website that listeners can go to for more information or to see what you're doing or obviously sure, to buy your book? Sure, we have, but, um, www.cleanprogram.com or or cleangut.com. Okay, cleangut.com. And I, what's been the response of the medical community? You know, the, the more traditional I, I, medical community. Because I, I, I mean, I'm thin, and I, I think I try to eat well, uh, similar to what you're describing. But I tell you, I tell you what. Yeah. At the beginning, many years ago, when I started looking at all these things, my colleagues were like, oh, my God, don't waste your time. You have some talent here for cardiology. Come and work in the, in the hospital with us. Make some money. You're crazy. Right? But eventually, through the years, many of the people that have transforming experiences go back to the doctors, and they say, whoa, what did you do? And they tell them, listen, this is what I did. So they get interested. And, and things slowly started shifting, you know. So now I get, I'm getting some respect from my colleagues, even though a lot of a lot of them still, I think, I'm kind of crazy. <laughs> well, first, they, before they call you crazy, they should try do the 21 uh, day uh, detox program. I would advise because I have to say, for, and I don't go to the doctors a lot, but the ones I go to, they don't look like they're in such great shape either. You know, <laughs> um, which probably isn't fair. But uh, so you are getting recognition, though, for the more conventional, I guess, medical community. Yeah. Um, what about, I mean, you're a cardiologist, so um, it, it would seem to, I mean, and you practice cardiology, do you have a private practice? you practice cardiology? Listen, I practice, I practice getting people healthy, and cardiology is only a part of it, you know? I mean, once trained as a cardiologist, then you can't stop but but um but see when there's a cardiology problem but i don't i don't separate the the, the different organs i see uh-huh. the human being as a whole and i try to deal with 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 the whole okay so it's the whole gestalt yeah i mean it's the whole the whole body well yes. uh, yeah well and for uh, clean gut you can is the, is the name of the book dr alejandro younger and uh you can go to his you can go to the website cleangut.com uh thanks so much for being on the show this morning i learned a lot thank as you well as the listeners. thank you thank, thank you. you for thank having you. me yep great to have you we're going to take a break and our next guest coming up is dr michael finkelstein and his new book is 77 questions for skillful living i'm Catherine zox your social worker with a microphone and you are listening to the Catherine zox show on voiceamericavariety.com and World Talk Radio. We'll be back in a minute. Just don't go away. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us support. 
These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Joining me this morning is integrative medicine pioneer, Dr. Michael Finkelstein. 77 Questions for Skillful Living, A New Path to Extraordinary Health is his new book. Welcome to the show, Dr. Finkelstein. Thank you. It's a pleasure to join you. Your work has been praised by Dr. Andrew Weil. He's been on the show. Dr. Oz and uh, you say you've practiced traditional medicine for decades, but I'm assuming that you're saying traditional medicine doesn't really work to keep us healthy and we need a new approach, which is your new book. So what is it? What's this new approach? Why doesn't the, I don't, you know, the old traditional way of doing medicine or keeping us healthy doesn't seem to do that? Well, you know, my experience practicing internal medicine for over 20 years, much of what I did uh, was providing people quick fixes for problems. Occasionally, like if you have strep throat and I gave you penicillin, it would work really well, but very often th- when things became chronic, the Western medical establishment really isn't completely adequate. So I don't want to dismiss its benefits for acute, life-saving, you know, life-threatening conditions, but in between those uh, episodes in our lives, which are few and far between, uh, how do we live our lives? How do we actually stay as vitally healthy as possible? As a physician, I can tell you I wasn't trained to offer that advice. Um, and so I think the Western medical model is both limited and, unfortunately, it's also limiting because the attitude of a lot of physicians is don't go outside my box, otherwise you won't be you know, serving yourself well and I won't really be so willing to treat you. So the limiting aspect of it is just this attitudinal problem that prevents people from really exploring, considering other options. You know, it's amazing that it's still, and I, I, you know, that this still goes on because it's, you go to the doctor and it's just exactly how you described it. You know, I've got a pain here or I've got a, whatever it is, you know, I have some kind of an infection, whatever. And then they, they, it's always, I just want to drug you. I mean, I always feel like sometimes I don't even want to go because I did, is there another something that I can do besides getting medicated? Exactly. I was, and that's what people ask me. So they, as a physician, a practicing physician in the conventional way, I was asked that question that you just, you know, posed, you know, every single time. Isn't there something else I can do? But I was not trained. So it's like as if you went to a car mechanic and you said, fix my, you know, my sore tooth. The toolbox of the car mechanic is not going to help your tooth. Um, and so if physicians have a particular toolbox, they're going to use what they have in it, but they don't have everything that you can possibly benefit from. And again, it's the attitude which troubled me a little bit. I didn't have the attitude. I saw it, that it was pervasive. But I really wanted to help people answer that question and find alternatives, not instead of, but maybe complementary things to do with. 
Yeah, complementary. I like that word. But then how did you do that? Because you needed more tools, I guess is what you're saying. You've got the other ones, fine. Use them when you need to. But then complementary tools to uh, how did you, uh, did you get more training or what was the process? Yes, absolutely. So I went to study with Andrew Weil at the University of Arizona School of Medicine, and he has a two-year program called the Program in Integrated Medicine. And it really retooled me. It essentially offered me uh, intensive study into many other modalities of healing, as well as appreciation for how to use them and how to integrate them. Not, again, it's not an either-or phenomenon. I think that's the problem with even holistic practitioners. You know, only do this or only do that. That, that is another attitude which I think is troubling. I think most people would like to know what's best and how to combine things. And that's what Andrew Wiles' program did. So, uh, yes, it was a two-year program I completed in 2004, almost 10 years ago, and uh, that was really helpful. You know, our American way of thinking is kind of either-or, isn't it? I mean, yes. <laughs> Republican, and Democrat, it's all or nothing. You know, you, I mean, right. I remember, tw- you know, it, we don't seem to, this, the word integrative doesn't always fall into our ken, so I think that's really important. And so you have all the tools. I mean, so, well, right, I have it? more than I had, that's yeah. for sure, and including the appreciation and respect for individuals to follow their own paths. That's what the subtitle of my book is about. It's about a path. It's not about I'm going to give you something. I'm not going to fix things, but I can help you see the, the pathway that will work best for you, including how along the way you can feel well. Give us an example of that. How do we follow our own path? Well, the first thing, and the reason that there are a lot of questions posed in this book, is to consider all the things that do contribute to health. It's not just about the physical body. So it's not just the measurements like your blood pressure, your cholesterol, or you know, how much you weigh. It's how you feel, how you function, uh, the na- nature and the quality of your relationships. Uh, these are all aspects of um, what I would call a medicine wheel, a, a sophisticated set of interlocking parts that really, when they're tuned up, make the whole function that much more better. And the bottom line is then you feel better. You not just feel better in your body, but you feel better mentally, emotionally, and that's so important to really our state of health. You're talking about physical, psychological, environmental, spiritual, all that contributes to our basic health. Right. Social, especially, um, our relationship to other people, the planet in general. Um, all these things have to come into alignment for us to feel really good about the way we're living our lives. And that's why in my book, the phrase skillful living, it's a verb. It's not a state of health that you achieve and you check it off and you're done. It's an active, ongoing process. Um, and so it's always requiring a little bit of attention and fine-tuning, but it should be fun too. You know, it shouldn't be just about getting there, holding your breath. We've all had that experience, losing weight, diet, things like that. We get to the other side of it, and then we exhale, and we relapse. That's not the point. The point here is to get to a state of being, which actually is easy to follow and enjoyable. Well, 77 questions for Skillful. Why 77? Or how did you come up with 77? Well, it's interesting. This, a lot of the questions came to me, were presented to me by a friend of mine who wrote um, questions for the American Board of Holistic Medicine to pose to the physicians who were at a conference. To, to really understand the different aspects of health. And I saw that list. It was about 75 questions, 25 on mind, 25 on body, 25 on spirit. And I said, gee, this is an interesting way to present the subject of health to individuals to see what 
what these interlocking parts are, what the dots are that need to be connected. And I took that tool and I started to use it in my practice. Over time, I refined it. Um, and there was, you know, so it was in the 70s. The number was in the 70s. I wouldn't say that that number really by itself has any specific significance, but I will tell you it's not 10. You know, it's not a short list. It's not easy to do necessarily. Um, it's, it's a process. Um, and, in fact, it's not 77 projects either, just to be clear. It's 77 opportunities to get into the subject of health where it feels right. Right. So let's talk about Gil's examples. Let's give some examples of that. Well, so the first question that I often ask after, you know, why are you here, is um, let's say I was a, a magician and I could wave a wand and fix all your problems. All, you come to a doctor, you say, you know, I've got a bad back, I, I have a high cholesterol, I'm on medications I don't want to be on. Let's say that you list all your problems, and I was a magician, I could wave my wand and it would go away. The question I ask you then is, what would you do with your health now that you have it all back? It's a question about purpose. Um, and I find that if people don't really have a clear sense of their life purpose, their body's not going to cooperate. It's not going to follow, and it's not going to be so easy to, uh, to do the work that's necessary because you have to have a clear idea of why. Give us, a, and I'm, I'm pushing you for this, but give us like a, an example of a patient coming into your office with a specific problem so that we can kind of you know, apply this, what you're talking about, this approach to a specific uh, diagnosis. Okay, so you know, it's very common, you know, all sorts of problems. But here was one of my first patients, which I thought was, Truly remarkable. This young woman, she was in her late 20s. She had been married for several years and trying to get pregnant. And as you may be aware, there sort of is somewhat of an epidemic of infertility. Um, it just seems to be increasing in numbers among young people, young couples, for, and their doctors are not finding any obvious reasons. So they're just going through the process, which is very involved in fertility treatments, which is often hormones, hormonal injections, you know, uh, sex at prescribed moments, uh, you know, it's a very contrived way of getting pregnant, and it works often, but it's not so easy, um, and it doesn't always work. Well, this woman was trying for six years and not succeeding. She came to me, and, you know, I, I sort of explored all these questions with her, and she was there with her husband, and it dawned on me that, you know, this is a young couple that was moved into New York City, and they were everywhere but their apartment. They were just out with friends. They were working. They were both professionals. And I asked her one question. I asked her, would a bird lay an egg before it built a nest? And she and her husband sat there and their jaws dropped. They realized at that moment that they really didn't have a home. You know, they had a home technically, but they didn't really live in it. And they didn't create for themselves, forget this newborn potential life. They didn't have an environment where they were settled. Um, and they realized they were somewhat disconnected from each other as a result as well. Well, they made a pact to sort of get their lives reoriented around their home. And they did other things. I, you know, the menstrual cycle and the lunar cycle are very tightly related. The word menses, in fact, means moon in Latin. And I asked her, does she, you know, have a day off a week? Does she follow a lunar cycle, a weekly cycle, or any cycles in her life? And she said, no. I mean, I work seven days a week. I socialize seven days a week. I am on the Internet. I'm shopping seven days a week. There is no difference between Sunday and Monday. I said, well, you know, you really need to get back into a rhythm that's more in alignment with nature. So I suggested that she honor a day a week, call it a Sabbath, if you will, but it wasn't specifically meant to be religious, but where she unplugged and where she and her husband spent time together in more quiet times. So anyway, long story short, 
in addition to some dietary recommendations, and I recommended that she go to an acupuncturist. Three months later, she was pregnant with twins. Um, after six years of trying, now, I, when she called me and told me she was pregnant, I said, you know, that could be just simply coincidence. I was, it was early in my practice here, and I, I really couldn't always believe that what I was doing was so powerful. But she said, no, Michael, it was what you said that did this. Um, so what you were saying is create a nurturing environment. I, I mean, I hear the word, it's sort of like you have to nurture yourself, and, and that's not what she was doing. If you want to nurture someone else, or if you want to, if you want to get pregnant, how old was she? Because I'm always thinking, that, I mean, this is just an aside, I guess, but that, that these women are not being able to get pregnant because they wait too long. They're well, 35. She was 28, and she was starting in somewhere around 23. You know, so those, those are appropriate ages. Yeah. Also very healthy. She was fit. She ate well. She was smart. Um, she was happy. There was really no biological explanation. However, I think what you said, and, and obviously what I was talking to her about, was, was what she needed, which was to get back into better balance, back into rhythm. And then her body followed suit. Um, she also needed to have that question about purpose and alignment posed to her to really understand that these things were not disconnected, that she couldn't just run around and expect that everything would work. Um, and it's about getting people reoriented to their center. Um, to what they would do with their health if it was given back to them as a, an important early question. Often uh, we are uh, really simply looking for quick fixes and we're not seeing the big picture. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we're looking for quick fixes. That's our culture. That's our society. And it's not working is what you're saying. So you also, five, you mentioned five vital health questions your doctors aren't asking you. What are they? I mean, Well, I mean, the first is purpose. The second is the quality of your relationships. You know, so people often maybe discuss with their physicians, you know, I'm having trouble at home in my marriage or with my kids, um, but that's not really meant to be a real discussion. It's meant to be a question that's sort of maybe polite, uh, maybe gets you to become aware of things that are pressing, but there's really no engagement in true understanding of how significant that is. Another also, don't you is, think I want to, because I think that's important. My doctor never asks me that. But um, people wait till they're in crisis, too, as a social worker. I mean, people, you know, till they're ready to get divorced or they're so stressed out for whatever reasons with their family or their work, then they say something. But it's not usually part of the process until they are really in crisis. Do they want to deal with their relationships? Right, exactly. And that's, that's the fundamental difference, I would say, between truly integrative practice and, and a Western conventional practice is that, um, in Western medicine, things are problem-oriented and usually unifocal. Um, you know, what's the hottest button right now? As opposed to integrative, where you ask to really take a survey of all the things that are operating, because the fact is that the car doesn't ride if you don't have four tires and a steering wheel and gas in the engine. Um, you, you can do one or of those three things and take care of it, but if you don't have all three of them operating, you're not going anywhere. Same the typical true. scenario oh, is you go to the doctor and complain about, I can't sleep at night, and he or she will ask you, well, you know, what's happening in your life? I'm going through a divorce. Oh, well, here's some sleeping pills. Take those. It'll get you through it. Right, and that's a quick fix. And, yeah, for, for a week, maybe it, it does something for you, but certainly not long-term. And very often, as most people are aware, the side effects, the downstream consequences of a medication are probably worse than the original complaint. So... It's really not serving people ideally well most of the time. So you're right, people need to step back. And that question of sleep, by the way, is one of those other five questions. It's, sleep is a, a real barometer for how you're doing. It's not just how you're sleeping. It's sort of how well rested you feel when you wake up. 
um, and what's your mood. That's a barometer for how you're doing. So that's the second question. Well, your relationships, how you're sleeping, um, that's two of them. So what are the other three? Well, other one is nature, your relationship to nature. As I was discussing with this young woman, it was, was sort of, are you aware of nature? Are you in contact with nature? Do you follow and flow with the rhythms and cycles of nature? Um, as an example, are you eating blueberries 12 months a year because Dr. X, Y, or Z said that's healthy for you? Um, most people are. They, you know, they understand the antioxidants in berries. But berries don't grow anywhere in the world 12 months of the year. And so it's not really in ideal alignment. Maybe the food is good for you. It's true. But not every day. Not in my opinion. So the rhythms of nature are important. So therefore, do you do anything different in the winter than you do in the summer in terms of activity or in terms of sleep pattern or, or diet? Many people don't. They eat oatmeal every morning because some doctor said 20 years ago oatmeal is good for your <laughs> cholesterol. Yeah. Or they Where work out at the same gym every single day, whether it's summer or winter. Right. And so there's, there's differences. So nature is a very important process. Um, again, purpose is one of those questions. Another question is, um, you know, what are you, um, what are you doing with your life? Um, what kind of meaning do you have in life? And how can you see even the challenges that you face as obstacles. In other words, what's the silver lining in any of this? And I think that's a very important subject to discuss because sometimes things can't be cured. They can't be completely fixed. So we're forced to still live with them in some way. Well, that's then in a very important time to look for, well, what can I, have, what can I learn from this? How can I grow from this? What is the positive in this? Because if you don't find it and it's purely negative, I think most people know how that feels in your life. That makes you feel really depressed. All right, Doctor, give us an example of that one. Make that, you know, let's hone in on that one. Where, well, I think yeah. that the, here's, a, here's a, another story of a patient of mine. So he was 71 years old, um, metastatic cancer riddling his body, primarily in his liver. Um, he was also an alcoholic. And so he had liver disease. In Chinese medicine, the liver is associated with the emotion of anger. Um, and that's what I learned, again, studying with Andrew Weil and other people. And the... It led me to the question after I spent time with him on the initial visit over three hours worth of time. I said to him, I said, what are you angry about? And I wasn't really implying the disease or his you know, imminent death potentially. There was something else underlying it I could sense. There was about a certain amount of anger. And he didn't discuss it with me in those three hours. It was really all about his physical body. And this question took him back a little bit. But he had an answer. In fact, he cried first. He just broke down and cried. And then he said, well, I really am very upset with my ex-wife because 10 years ago she took my then 9-year-old son away from me and I haven't really had any relationships with him ever since. And I'm really angry. Ultimately, he knew that the anger was toward himself, was because of his own behavior, self-destructive behavior, he was not really a fit father. Um, but in the course of the next year, I helped him work on the feelings of anger toward himself, the frustration and resentment toward his ex-wife, but to help him understand that what he really wanted was to restore the relationship with his son. In the end, I didn't cure him of his disease, but before he died, he reunited with his son, and his son at his memorial service said, I'm so glad at the end of my father's life he was able to come around and be my father. That's and quite so a story. And also, was, but I'm thinking about you as the physician, I don't 
have any physicians that I go to that are like you. First of all, who would spend three hours with me, number one. But number two, you kind of, I mean, you have, you're sort of a psychiatrist in this process as well, or a therapist or a counselor. Is, is, is that kind of part of what you have to do to, to kind of, to embrace this, um, the integrative medicine? Yes, I think, you know, and I think that's definitely true. I think that it's a, it requires a relationship that I have with a patient so that they feel that there's more to it than I'm just a repairman, um, that I have a heart and that I have sensitivity and that I care about them as a person. And when that is combined with my training, where they feel somewhat of a trusting uh, nature toward, you know, what I can do professionally, um, they open up and they share things that are deep, important truths that ultimately are, is the beginning of a healing process. And so the nature of the relationship with a physician should be a healing one. It shouldn't be a mechanic. Um, yeah, sometimes you want surgeons to be good mechanics. But a primary care physician, and I don't love that term, but somebody you spend that type of time with who's going to know more about your life and you're going to see over time, uh, you want that person to really respect you, care for you, and vice versa. And when you have that, then all sorts of other things can happen. And just like I said, even if you can't be cured, you can see value in what you're experiencing and so that you can achieve something perhaps as a result of a disease that you could never have had before. So this man wasn't cured of his cancer, but he was cured of his life. He developed a relationship with his son and left his son with a good feeling in his heart about his father, which he would never have had happen if he didn't have cancer. Yes. Well, you became involved in his life and the quality of his life changed. You know, as you're describing this, I'm thinking going back maybe even I don't know, two generations, three generations, when your physician came to the house and was involved with your family and did know what was going on and did connect with you and the rest of your relatives. It's kind of like that. I mean, it's obviously in the 21st century, but reverts back to that real personal nature of of being a healer. Right. Well, think about it. Back then, they didn't have all the tools, meaning the drugs and the you know, surgical technology, the imaging technology. And so, but the, the experience of going to a doctor was a very positive one. And so, and life in general, because it wasn't so technically oriented and wasn't about quick fixes, um, meaning in life was always a relevant subject. And I think those people back then really maybe weren't quite as healthy physically, didn't live as long, although that's really debatable. Um, but they had a quality of life that we don't get today unless we attend to these questions. Well, we live long lives, but we live kind of sick lives very often. We're right. Medicaid, yeah, and, and yes. The, and a little shallow and a little and preoccupied with our physical health. And so, so how many talk people about are neurotic about their physical health? All right, in that context, the evolution of medicine, where is it going? I mean, doctors like you, I mean, do you you have to go to the medical schools and change the training programs? And it seems to me it's a whole, it's a huge undertaking. Um, so can we just spend a little bit of time talking about that evolution of medicine? Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, I think, that, I think what's really going to happen, I, I have some hope that the medical establishment will really be helpful here, but I have more hope. And I count more on that individuals could read a book like mine and they could take care of themselves. And they they would use a physician still for certain things, what physicians are good at, acute, life-threatening emergencies. But for everything else, they're going to look for another way of being and seeing and reframing the condition. 
um, that they won't need so much of the medical establishment, believe it or not, and so that whether or not the medical establishment follows along is really secondary because I'm a un- unusual physician. It's true that has both, you know, sets of training. But the fact is, there are many people who can do what I can do, who aren't physicians necessarily. But you want to couple these things together. But it's really up to the individual. I'm imploring people to take more responsibility for themselves. But it's not, um, it's not painful. It's actually this is beautiful. This is makes it easy and sensible. And then you can avoid a lot of doctor's visits and a lot of angst. Well, it, let's say it's not the doctor. Are you also saying in this process of evolving, we as patients have to evolve as well as the physicians, um, that there are ancillary um, people or professions that can be involved in this? Is, you know, so it's not just the patient and the physician, but it may be nurses or I'm, you know, nurse practitioners or all of those people also can be involved in this this new kind of way of, of asking the right questions and healing yourself or yes I think so but I, I still think this overwhelmingly is the individual I mean there are other pro- professionals that can do this but again we be, we're so reliant on experts for a lot of things I think what the reason the questions are to help people come up with their own answers not to give them the answers because when people do that they can embrace and they can follow their own advice um, and so I would like all professionals to be less important in some ways other than the acute life-threatening conditions um, than they are currently. Uh, and I think that's the, that's the societal evolution of health. Um, health well, I'm going to interrupt you. Probably... We only have a few minutes left, and I, just, I, I really yeah. want to pick your brain about this because there's so much marketing that goes into like the opposite of what you're saying, and it's, it's so frustrating. I mean, they make they. You right. feel guilty if you don't get a test for everything that you possibly may or may not have. Um, right. I, I'll give myself as an example. I, ha- I have nothing wrong with my teeth. I go to the dentist and get them checked and take care of myself, and every time I want to go, they want to x-ray me, and I haven't let them do that in 10 years. And at this point, she, my dentist, as she is saying, then you can't come to this practice anymore. I said, but what are you looking for? I mean, if I go to the doctor, they're not x-raying my arm, thinking maybe I broke it if I don't bring it up as a symptom. But that kind of making me feel guilty, there's all this pressure to be tested and tested even when there isn't anything wrong with you, and it's marketed on television. And so how do we, you know, it's really hard to overcome that. Well, I think that's very true. That's a predicament. But the better you take care of yourself, and you know it, the more in alignment you are. If you can find a resource, like my book, I hope, where you feel real confident that this is an approach that makes a lot of sense, you'll feel less uh, vulnerable to that marketing. You'll feel less inclined to need it and more sort of solid in your commitment to take care of yourself and say no, um, and then be more selective. Of course, it's, it's, it's not an all-or-nothing type of thing either. So it's, but people who take better care of themselves, just think about basic dietary things, activity, sunlight, good relationships, a job that feels like they're using you know, their talents and their interests. Those people tend to feel less anxious in the presence of, a, of a, an opinionated professional, whatever that may be. Now, that is so more... well said. And I want to end up, we have to end, and that's a really good uh, uh, note to end on, and your book um, is 77 Questions for Skillful Living. 77 Questions for Skillful Living, Michael Finkelstein and Doctor. And you can go online. You can get the book online, bookstores everywhere. 
77 questions for skillful living. So you got to go buy the book and find out what the other 77 questions are. Thank you so much for being on the show this morning. Catherine, it was a pleasure. I hope this really helps people. Thank it you. It did. It helped. Um, we are going to say goodbye. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Wednesday. We hope you have enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaVariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.